We'll just make up our own rules. Uh. <laughs> Soft openings are back. <laughs> like Virginia Tech uh, against Duke. Indeed. Yeah, wow. Greetings on the brink of March. You're listening to the ACC Basketball Degenerates Podcast brought to you by our proud sponsors, Three Notch Brewing. Here's the agenda, boys. Briefly touch on the FBI reveal. I don't want to spend too much time there. We'll be jo- okay, you know why? Because Jim Beheim did his own deep dive on that in his post-game press conference. They're really turning into must-watch TV, must-listen to. They got to focus more on Hillary's emails. Let's talk about what's important. <laughs> Buttery mails, Taylor. Buttery mails. We'll be joined by our special guest of tonight's episode, and then superlatives that won't appear in an all-ACC ballot, but we're going to give them to you. And then game review, and then game look ahead. Gentlemen, in the words of Clever Lang, got a lot of mo, got a lot of mo this time of year. Hey, congratulations. Texas Tech finally scored against West Virginia six minutes into the game. <laughs> Good job, Red Texas Raiders. Tech. And we just watched Virginia Tech beat Duke, not at the buzzer, but with four seconds remaining. Mm, huge win for the at Hokies Castle at home against Castle. Under against the Castle. Is, the, is the ticket at, at officially, officially punched now? Oh, it's oh, absolutely, for sure. for sure. absolutely yeah. punched. You're four seed in the ACC tourney. Dude, top four. I know. I, I said it. Whoa. Hey, people I said still it. have Syracuse and Virginia Tech is a lock. Is Buzz an <laughs> ACC Coach of the Year candidate? No. No. no the expectations actually were decently high, I think, for Tech. That's true. And Coach of the Year is essentially exceeding expectations. So it's Bennett uh, going 6-1 to one in the outright title. Kevin Keats? Your number two ACC I mean, I think, seed? I think Bennett, just the campaign. You might be Bennett, a good campaign Keats, lead man for and, that. And uh, Brownell, honestly. I, Brownell, Brownell certainly has to be in the discussion. Well, he at least saved his job for another saving year. Saving the job right? is an honor enough for Brad. I, I mean, don't they, think they, he needs the gravy. <laughs> I, I feel like um, the ACC coach of the year is going to be like that meme that you have where it's the girl walking in front and the guy is looking at her with his girlfriend. Oh, and yes. And the girl walking yes. in front is going to be Kevin Keats. The guy is going to be the voting public, and the girlfriend who's loyal and standing oh, by his side is Tony Bennett slash Roy Williams. Oh, oh, Roy I Williams has reinvented himself. He's getting no love. Tony Bennett, Wait, third loves. ACC well, title in no, five years, no, no love. Oh, no, man. you can't coach North Carolina and not win the ACC and be the coach of the year. That's against the <laughs> Anyways, rules. That's I'm how pretty I sure. I really appreciate that meme dropping right there. <laughs> that, that was super awesome. Yeah, deep dive. What would your reaction be <laughs> deep dive if you saw the ballots were released in some Troll went for Passner for a back-to-back coach of the year. <laughs> Would you be upset? Would you laugh? Would you chuckle? Would you say that's ironic? Yeah, you just heard my reaction. I yeah. Say, yeah, I agree. I, 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 I would be somebody to do it. Maybe Lauren will do it. As and the person who would low. who would be the kind of guy who would do that, I'm the target audience for that kind of action. I'd be mm-hmm. upset because you need at least a, some sort of case for it. Well, right. you wouldn't do that because you're so tied to Kevin Keats. It's that's I mean, true. With like, Kevin Keats and I are exclusive. Yeah, yeah you're in a sock together. Yeah. Kevin Keats is a winner. <laughs> All right. With that said, yeah, were we, did we anticipate talking about ACC Coach of the Year? No, not at all. No, we should Spontaneous. Have. Yeah. I mean, I mean regular season's almost over. Two games to go. What could possibly happen in these two games? There's not really too much at stake. No. Except, well, that's I take that back. The There's top a four lot is still in flux. NC State, how high could they climb? We spent about how many minutes? 20 minutes trying to decide the tiebreakers and if NC State could vault to the two spots. And the answer is? We didn't come to a conclusion. We, <laughs> we were arguing. I, I think they can. I think they can. Mm. I believe that they can. Yeah. In our hearts, they can. It's still sure. real to me. Okay? Right. That's what I want to tell you. 
They certainly can. If who does Carolina have next? They're Miami next at the Ding Dong. So if they lose to Miami and beat Duke, I think that might do it if NC State wins out. Yes, that's yes, right. I that's think that so. is the we scenario. Figured so. yeah, that's scenario. Where, we figured it out. Yeah, that's We for, we forgot about the UNC Miami game. <laughs> Let's I go know. back. All right. So what do we got? Thoughts on the What's FBI on? ledger? I don't really have much to say. I think Jim Beheim covered everything I had. In, this is my biggest question coming out of the FBI ledger controversy. Oh, it's a great question. Also. How did they determine that the max salary for a college basketball player is $100,000? Is it because it's six digits? Big round numbers? I See, you're getting value there, obviously, black market. Getting a little bit of value. $100,000 seems like a... Uh, I don't know. I had they come up with it. Somebody needs to it's have like a, a fifth grade number. I need a Planet Money podcast explaining to me Speaking why of, it's hundred thousand. I, I bet there's some like weird tax break where like <laughs> if once you go over a hundred thousand, it's you can't like claim it without like extra scrutiny. Mm. And then also in the Bayheim press conference, he claimed that Mervyn Bagley was going to make a hundred billion dollars. Oh, did he? And he said Wendell Carr is going to make a hundred million. So maybe it's just something with hundreds and right. our fascination with. The number 100. I, I bet they could because both I make really, 100 million over the course of their career. I don't know if that's a given, though. Come on. Yeah. That's I, a gi- I mean, yeah. That is a pretty large number. Five years on a max contract is what gets you to that number. Here, here's the I, question. I don't think he was thinking. I think, and I don't think a lot of, maybe maybe these agents aren't thinking either. they just like, oh, 100 sounds good. Yeah, it's a nice round number. We got, <laughs> yeah. to, we got to how many digits? Six digit, digits? Well, well, the thing is you don't have to uh, like make the Excel column any wider if you just keep it you know, just six exactly. digits. You mm-hmm. know, you don't have to make it any wider at all. Perfect, just keep that it. Is that is a perfect, I love that that's, explanation. That's the explanation. That's what we're looking that's for. It's all about, it all comes back to Excel. Yeah. <laughs> Christian Dawkins needs to learn some pivot tables because those spreadsheets were not very good. Mm. Right. Here's my question that I want to know. Okay, so all those things, I look. You look at the actual documents, right? That Yahoo published, whatever they, where his handwritten stuff is like written in there and everything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's they're called loans. Like I'm asking this honestly. Honestly, was he actually? And he wrote like bad loan or like setting up repayment plan. Does that mean it's an actual loan or does it mean like loan is a loan, euphemism for like I'm giving you money? Yeah, like loan honestly, in quotes. I think. With a I, wink. I mean, yeah, we don't, you know. So if, if it was this, a loan in quotes, but he's still writing like bad loan setting up payment plan, is that like also a euphemism for like, I, I mean, know. it's a euphemism for investment. I mean, the whole yeah, thing, you're essentially just tracking right. these players like you're tracking stocks. You've bought $100,000 worth of DeAndre Ayton. Right. And unfortunately, it's, I don't know that it's going to be a good stock. So it's a, it's a bad loan. It's a bad investment. It's a sell for you. It's a bad investment. Wait, but so, and. And like this, these are these guys like his expense reports, like his meal reports. If this, you know, mm-hmm. he's like going on a trip for his company, but which is crazy to me. Separate issue. But then next question I have after the loan thing. Then fine, that's good. It's a euphemism. They're just paying money. Is this in any way connected to uh, like getting players to go to a specific school, or is this just about like getting the players to sign with the agent? Because I, th- I mean, from my understanding, this has nothing to do with the recruitment process. Right. It, this is all after the player has decided which school it's going to go to, or if it's if the if the player is interested in an agent. He wants you after, to get to sign with the agent. Yeah, right? it's it's all which about just, like, makes establishing me kind of be like, that relationship. Care. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's. I mean, certainly it's sketchy as hell, but there are a lot of questions that are not answered at all in these expense reports, and it points to no corruption within the recruiting of players 
by colleges. Well, certainly the, these reports are not very good in court as like actual hard evidence. It's yeah. all like just it's an on expense the report by a 24 year old with handwritten notes in the side. And it doesn't mean anything not verified. So it, I kind of buy into the theory that they release these because they don't have a case and they're trying to like flip people and they're trying to scare people into like, oh shit, I better like. I yeah. better call them now and tell them what I know, or else I might be on the other end of this. So I kind of buy into that theory. Like Taylor, they don't have much other I than the tapes you, of Sean Miller. But Mike and I have been watching Kansas, Texas, while this has been going on. We can save this deep dive for the summer if you really want to. <laughs> but my question is, how does this affect us in March and the right. tournament? The only, th- my only takeaway from this entire saga is that we can write Arizona off. That team's not winning the title. Oh. Well, we already knew that, right? Well, so was cleared, and for good reason. I mean, for what I I've, watched that team play, they came out strong, and they just folded <laughs> like a like a something stick of that folds. I'm, like I'm, an origami crane. So, I mean, certainly it was it was what the day that the news came out, or the day after the news came out yeah, about Miller. It, also, if Sean Miller says he's going to be vindicated, why don't you just coach the game? What's wrong? So with you? No, they removed him. The school removed him. <laughs> Correct. Oh, really? Yes. They, oh, okay, they, yeah, okay, they right. asked that he not. So, but it hasn't been. He is not like officially fired. He has not been removed with with without cause, with cause, whatever. He is still officially the head coach. I mean, and terrible yeah. what they did, did you, to my boy Patino. So, I mean, Sean Miller sells a job. Did, so, did you see the tweet? Hashtag from, free Patino. Who was the? What was the ESPN? Hashtag free Ricky. Mark, uh, Mark Mark Schler or whatever his name is, the the ESPN, the guy who actually broke the story. the guy that broke the story. He didn't actually listen to the the recording. Seems like a red he flag. Is, he has not listened to it. He has heard this through the grapevine. So you know, who knows who the source is? We don't actually know. It might be the deep throat who texts me a bunch of random stuff about college basketball. Yeah, seventy five percent of which is true. Ooh, Could be. I want I want to be on that text chain. I'll, I'll, I need I'll that inside. You. I, you ask, but, doing anything for knows, information, who knows Mike. Who the source is and what motivations this the source might have. Right. I mean, I I would not put it past ESPN to completely throw journalistic integrity out the window when they aired this story. Like mm-hmm. it, it would not surprise me at all. In which case, big there's going to be there's going to be some some nasty stuff that's going to go down, and I hope ESPN is like caught in the middle of it because I would love nothing more than ESPN catch like tons of shit from the from this story, mm-hmm. and then Arizona fans and Sean Miller would be vindicated. Now, I mean, it's pretty that clear that said, there's lots of money flowing through. That the being system. said, I think there's that, no question that right? is highly unlikely. Yeah, and you know i don't think they would there's probably there's too much smoke in that coming out yeah, of the arizona I, I camp agree. to to say that there's a good chance i wanted to i just wanted to talk about how great it would feel to watch espn go i mean down. it's just there's a difference between mm-hmm. like being having it be pretty clear that it happened and then having any like actual repercussions come down on people yeah. or any court ordered things i mean right i mean mm-hmm. oj went to jail for tax fraud I'll just leave yeah. it at that. Yeah. That's how that segment's going to come to a close. <laughs> Send us your letters about that. Send Last us your letters. At us, at us OJ game. fans. Last week's slate slash games. Syracuse Duke from Cameron. I watched every single minute of this contest because I was alone in a hotel room. And I really wish I was not alone in a hotel room on a weekend watching this game by myself. I turned think- into a rock fight and I texted Mike... And I said, this looks like a game where he's like, what are your thoughts here? Because I was watching and I, I hope none of you were. But it looks like a game where neither team knew how to play against the zone, even though all they play is zone. 
Right, right. That was a great quote. I like that. I tweeted that out. Yeah, it was a 13-point line for Syracuse to open the game, and you knew it was going to kind of be a low-scoring, low-possession game. Um, so 13 points seemed really intriguing at the time. Did I mention I was on Duke for that one? You were? By the way, just, just oh, mentioning it. Good for you. Because I don't think you could trust that Syracuse team against a quality basketball squad at this point of the year. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe early in the year. Covered at Virginia. I, I, I just I not now. Uh, no, yeah. No. So it ends up being a sixty to forty four Duke win. Real turning point there. Syracuse scores fifteen points over twenty minutes of actual gameplay. Um, that's actually twenty minutes of clock. That's from the five minute mark all the way through. You know, five minutes into the second half. They went six of twenty six from the field during that time. Unbelievably poor offense, and I think it all kind of keys around. Six of 25 from three-point range. Yeah, total for Ugh, the game. Six yikes. of 26 from the field yikes. in that stretch. And and to me, it kind of keys around Tyus Battle, right? So Tyus Battle is a highly skilled player. He plays the most minutes in the ACC. For some reason, he was actually averaging 41, than, 41 yeah. minutes. Yeah, I saw you that. Know, yeah, in yeah. ACC plays. Right. Did you think he was going to close the door on North Carolina at the Dome? Mm, no, he hit, he hit the I'll, shot. I'll tell, which I'll tell tied you no. The game. I'll say no. I'll say no, and I'll tell you why. Okay. The reason is that Tyus Battle believes that he's a good jump shooter. Tyus Battle is not a good jump shooter. He's he's a very bad jump shooter, and he it needs, depends on what range. He needs. Are you talking three point? I think he's a decent mid ranger. He's thirty one percent from three. He's. Uh, I think he ranks currently. 430-something in all of the NCAA for players that have taken jump shots over 200 possessions, which is terrible. That's yeah. not good. And it's not it's not that he's just trying to create and go into isolation there. He's just not a gifted jump shooter. Um, so once, once Tyus, once Tyus <laughs> learns that and starts attacking the basket, he's one of the best players in the country at getting to the basket in isolation. Now, if he could do that, you know, I'd feel better about Syracuse. You saw it a lot in this Duke game. You saw it a lot in that run. Um, he, both he and Frank Howard have a jump shooting problem that they need to fix. Um, but on the bright side for Duke, Marvin Bagley, he was back. He was back. And he played well, shot eight of nine from the field, six of which were dunks. My questions heading into this game were, is it possible for there to be more offensive rebounds in a game than defensive rebounds? That was the number one thing I was thinking about when I was alone in this hotel room watching this. <laughs> you know, I think they have a game. I think there's a Craigslist section for people just come and sit and watch watch basketball with you. If I, I should have called someone up. Yeah. I was uh, <laughs> I had a nice view of the Yum Center actually. <laughs> oh, really? Right to the left of me. Oh, a great view of the Yum Center. <laughs> yeah. But this is before the flood, by the way. Shout out to the Louisville people staying strong down there. Mm-hmm. But I will say this. I was thinking about it. If there was ever a game in history where there was a chance for more offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds, it was Thursday night (laughs) or Wednesday night, whatever it was. Because you have two outstanding teams who crash the glass, but they both play zone for some strange reason. Right. And yeah, it was just I don't know, it was weird. And it was a rock fight. So I don't know if we need to spend much more time on this. It It occurred as if everybody else thought it was going to go this way and it did. Well, you know, we didn't even talk about Bagley coming back, right. which I think made a big Great. difference considering a big difference. I don't think it made a big I, difference. I think it made a, a difference considering the fact that Syracuse actually did a pretty good job on defense. I mean, like their efficiency numbers they held Duke to like under a point per possession, mm-hmm. which is really good for the season. Right. And and Duke really couldn't shoot very well. They were kind of bothered by that zone and 
I mean, they had to go inside and score inside. And I don't know. I wonder what it would have. Bagley is a very skilled inside scorer, obviously. And what would it have been like if they didn't have that option? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, is Wendell Carter going to go yeah, in there it, and do it? Be, I don't it know. benefited Wendell Carter, I think, the most. He had 16 points in the game. Yeah. He had four dimes. He looked really good. Um, you know, you asked earlier, Luke, about, you know, two teams that are for some reason playing zone and talking about Duke playing zone. Duke currently, while playing zone, when they are in the zone, they are the third most efficient team in the country defensively. They are holding teams a .78 points per possession. That is just behind Cincinnati. I don't believe this. Four points per possession. Numbers lie. Currently on Ken it's Palm. It's incredibly surprising. Men lie, Currently women, on women Ken lie, Palm, they are number 11 overall in effective field goal percentage defensively. This That's nuts. I, I can't believe it. This might actually be a good defensive team. Is yeah. that true? It's it is. True. They're oh my 13th gosh. in defensive efficiency overall in yeah. Ken Palm. So, anyways, like, Duke surprising everyone. So uh, this nuts. narrative about like is the Duke defense coming back? I still don't believe it. I don't. <laughs> ah, they're so. 17th right now, not it's, 13th. Oh, 17th overall, but 13th in effective field goal percentage. The Virginia or 11th Tech game, in effective I think, field goal. Yeah. It. Yeah, I mean it's pretty amazing considering where they were you know a month ago or so yeah they, that, that ain't yeah. gonna fly if they're in Villanova I mean, you could land a 747 like in the lane in the middle of Duke's defense like a month ago <laughs> it's embar- it was embarrassing you could get to the basket so easily I don't I, I, part of that's due to scheduling convinced. though I'm not convinced part of that's due to scheduling yes part of they it they had is. a very weak second half mm-hmm. so yeah. yeah. Take it or leave. I, they I obviously that's, they that's obviously true. took a loss to a talented Virginia Tech team. And they tonight. also had the I believe they had the easiest schedule in the entire ACC. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Not and in this game, it. I mean Unbalanced. Syracuse kind of cleaned up inside. I mean, uh okay, Chuku so, had a good we game. Don't, we don't so. care. Yeah, we don't care about Chuku anymore. Come on, it's March. I love Chuku. How is that gonna help us in two weeks? It's not gonna help us. So I believe in Syracuse move. making Let's it into on. the tournament. Uh, we got other games to go on. I wanna make one one quick point on Duke. So this is the second straight game that Grayson Allen has... Okay, he had a pretty good game tonight, so I shouldn't... It, not a great shooting night, I should say. He was 0 and, for 6 from 3. Yeah, yeah. And and then in the game tonight against Virginia Tech, he was 4 of 15 from 3. Now, you know, Bagley's... 15 threes tonight? Yeah, yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> well, so uh, th- we, we should talk shoot a little bit shoot, about Virginia baby. Tech, I think, at some point tonight. But uh, I, I just wanted to pose this question... Like what? What? What does Duke need to do to better like use Allen and Bagley on the floor at the same time? Because I think they still haven't quite figured it out, and it's it's like a little weird because Bagley's still like being like splitting a little bit of time with like Bolden and Delorier. Delorier started tonight. It's a crazy Tech. idea. Put him in a pick and roll. Just run up Bagley, Grayson, and Allen pick and roll. And that's what I would do. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's something to think about. I mean, and uh, I, Despite what Jay Billis will tell you, I still am not confident in going down with the Grayson Allen three-point shooting ship. I'm still not quite there. I, Jay Billis I'm, is there. He's been there I for am, years. I'm completely in agreement. So I think Grayson Allen is why like, not get him going downhill and get Bagley yeah. going off a uh, roll into the yeah. basket? That's what I would do. So, you want him rolling into the basket, absolutely. Let's go into Virginia Tech in Louisville. What the heck happened in that game? Why can't I figure out Virginia Tech? <laughs> I sorted them to start the season. I reveled in it. And then I came to my senses and said, I'm not going to go down with the ship narrative like so many of these hot takers out there. I said, I'm in a Virginia Tech. I think they turned a the corner. And then the Louisville game happened, and I'm like, that didn't make any sense to me. 
Apparently, Mike, it made sense to because he took Louisville. Maybe it was one of his Spidey Sense Vegas kind of things. But they looked bad against Louisville at home, and then they come back and beat Duke. I, I don't know what to do with this team. It, yeah, that that was a weird game, and it was it was kind of a spidey sense game for me. I did I did think that there would not be anyone in the country taking Louisville. Louisville was coming off of a horrible stretch. You know, Paget comes in to Castle, gets a huge win for their resume. Uh, obviously, it looks even better now with um, with Duke losing there at Castle tonight. Um, the the stretch that kind of turned the game for Louisville was. They actually made six three-pointers over about eight minutes in the final ten minutes of the game. And I'll be honest with you, none of them were well-advised shots. You know, they were all, they were all covered shots. They, they were shots that really Louisville kind of had no business making outside of maybe one or two that Quentin Snyder took. Um, the difference in the game, though, for Louisville was Dwayne Sutton, who I think got his first start of the year. Uh, Paget admitted later in the game that he should have been playing him more often. Um, yeah, he's looked terrific, honestly. Yeah, yeah, he's the looked last good. few games. I, the key, the key in that game for me, and the reason that I I liked Louisville um, was because Louisville actually has one of the best transition defenses in the country. Mm. They're currently ranked 11th in transition defense. They get back and they get back well. Um, and against a Virginia Tech team that likes to run, uh, I thought that that would slow the game down enough to favor Louisville. And it, it did. Um, and honestly, Virginia Tech, before their win tonight, was only 4-3 and three in February. You know, So they had been struggling a little bit, mm-hmm. and that has a lot to do with the way they've been shooting the basketball. They're kind of associated with being a high-volume offense, um, shooting 40% from three, down a bit from that. And honestly, their interior scoring and interior defense have suffered recently. So, you know, I don't totally. know. Virginia Tech kind of a team a little bit on the ropes. Um Louisville had had a must-win game there at Castle. I'm just Took advantage. I mean, I don't know. Snyder had Stand a great away. game. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and I feel like from three is I feel incredible. like every year we talk about whether it's Snyder, whether it's Donovan Mitchell, we're like, oh, a little bit less this year because Louisville's just not as good and they've had the whole shadow hanging over them. But like every year we talk about Louisville, great team, great defense, everything. If they've got this one guard who can step up and hit some shots and like bring them the outside shooting that they need they'll be really good and this was game to me was like maybe on a smaller scale played out that same thing like Snyder had an awesome game he lit it up and I thought that was like the difference well I'll tell you what if you think that that's gonna be a longevity narrative you can go ahead and jump in the river with uh, Quentin Snyder (laughs) you can go for it all right I'll catch you down at the end of the James momentarily but uh, Louisville finishes with Virginia at home and at NC State they're gonna be underdogs in both of those games. Yeah. What do they have to do to make the tournament? Maybe one uh, one ACCT win, or do they have to get one of these last two? That's a real question out there. Yeah, I don't know if it's going to have to be one or – I don't think they're going to win any more games in the regular season. And I That's they, what we said back heading into two. North Carolina. They I might th- need two in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I thought they were going to lose to Tech. I think, I think they've got a really good shot them. against NC State. Okay. Maybe. Maybe. We'll see. We'll see. I don't know. I don't like them there. NC State, Florida State, which was last night – Oh, what a game. First of all, before we get into the game, which person sent the most incredible tweet of the year that said Sam Hunt? We don't need to. We don't need need to repeat this. Is as hot as two rats fornicating in a wool sock. (laughs) That is the best tweet this account has ever sent. Whoever did it, please step up right now. Who did it? 
I mean, Good I'll, I'll, I'll take credit right for it. I'll, I'll, t- I'll go and take credit for it. I, uh, I I can't remember where I heard that. I think it was I, you know it was it was like a I don't a know if Costas, we need to go into this backstory. Let's take a deep dive Ichiro in this yeah. interview from like the late nineties. <laughs> but uh, it, man, it was just so it just like came it came to me. Well, came hunt, to me. Yeah. All right, well, Taylor a- Taylor and Guthrie and Mike, go ahead on NC State. I got Florida yeah, State. Yeah, Let's you, do it. You go ahead. You go ahead, Guthrie. You, NC State you a lot is, of this game. is playing at another level right now. Your twenty eighteen national championship. I, uh, their defense. NC State Wolfpack. Their defense is going to cause. Uh, I mean, if they're, uh, I, I'd imagine they're going to probably play. You know, one of the top three seeds in their region in the second in the second game in the first weekend, and they are going to cause tremendous amounts of pressure to the guards of whatever team they end up playing. So if they're if they're a seven seed and they end up winning the first game, they're going to be playing. You know, uh, whatever the two seed is in that region, and yeah, man. Their their defense was amazing against Florida State. It was causing tremendous amount of like turnovers out out the butt. Like, <laughs> it's a technical term. That's right. <laughs> God, I I this was an incredibly fun game to watch. Let's go and, to Taylor. For, yeah, well, uh, yeah, that, that's that, that you NC know from State, a high level. That's man. what I mean. <laughs> NC State man time. It's a new segment this week on NC State man. This is <laughs> Taylor. Go ahead, take over. Take over the floor. Uh, I am looking for their forward to their number two seed in the ACC tournament. I am a little bit worried about the game against Louisville. I, I think that's a, a, a difficulty. But I mean, really? Yeah. Wow. That's I, what a take for you. They're they're favored in this game. I I think that's going to be a little more difficult than they think. But I think this game against Florida State. Okay, so I'm going to repeat something we were talking about off air just before this set. In hindsight, it seems like kind of we would have picked this as a perfect matchup in the sense that we talked about how NC State, when they played Syracuse earlier, like they could like just take apart that zone. Syracuse f- and Louisville are completely different defenses. I'm not talking about Louisville. Sorry, I'm talking about Florida State right here. Okay. And Florida State is a completely different defense. Yeah, they play tight man. From Syracuse. It's really close to a zone defense. The Florida, I don't know. As the Florida State <laughs> defense this year is not the same Florida State defense we've looked at in previous years. And they play tight man, but they miss so many assignments that it's like I, I wouldn't you know there's like the old adage that like the best zone has elements of man the best man has elements of zone all that kind of stuff but their man defense is just so bad that it sometimes ends up looking like a zone because they're all just running around like well, I'm glad you recovering, brought that because recovering quickly for assignments and NC State was making them pay every single time for that you miss an assignment, and Florida State is athletic, and they will cover those sometimes, but NC State was taking advantage of it the entire game. Let me say something about Florida State. Is it bad for me that during the pick game, I barely noticed who wasn't on the floor for the Knowles? They had two players suspended. Eventually, mm. I was get, I was like, I guess Terrence Mann is in there, maybe. <laughs> so I was like, oh, yeah, there's one. And then I couldn't figure out the other guy. I had to look it up, and it, it, uh, apparently it was Brian Angola. So this... Led me to a realization, a eureka moment concerning Florida State, a light bulb, bulb illuminating in the dome. Doesn't it kind of feel like every Florida State player is interchangeable? And I'm not just talking about this year. I'm talking about the last 10 years, with the exceptions of our friend uh, Mike Ojo, Malik Beasley, and maybe Jonathan Isaac. Well, Doesn't it feel like every Florida State player is interchangeable every year? I think that 
I don't know if they're interchangeable, but I think what you're hitting on and saying now is like a weakness is actually one of their strengths in a certain way. Well, how to, come that team can't wait, make to the make same the, way I was saying is that they how are, come that team can't get to the Sweet Sixteen? They yeah, just can't I, do it. It's it's above them. The the reason you're saying they're all the same is that they're all like long athletic guys. Some of them can shoot, but they're all like long athletic guys. So you talk about. Christ Kumaji, maybe not a better one, but like Angola, Phil Kofer. No mm-hmm. matter if yeah. you're like six seven or you're seven two, all those guys are like the swarming. They don't, you know, they're all like guys athletic, who can cover a lot slasher. of ground. The defense slashers, there's some shooters. The defense, yeah. So, yeah. well, it's not the same defense we've seen in the past yeah. past few years. I'm sorry, I, I'm out on that team. I miss, yeah, I, I miss. No, it. I, I agree. I agree. It, it's it's kind of amazing to me that. Um, you know the the change that has happened under Le- Leonard Hamilton over the years at at Florida State. Uh, you know, it, it, as Taylor kind of uh, alluded to, Florida State used to be well known as the kind of defensive juggernauts of the AC, one of the defensive juggernauts of the ACC, and now they're just their defense is mediocre. Like they they just can't they, they don't really care. You know, they they just can't keep people in front of them. They don't care about defensive rebounding. Their big men are more. In, concerned about blocks and like padding the stats than you know securing a defensive rebound let's move on i don't really have anything to say about uva pits we could talk about the first half in one word everybody sum up the first half in one word were they one for 22 is that yes the yeah. key stat? seven Pitt, points right? it was one for 22 in the first one half? phrase everybody gets a phrase about this one um i still don't know any pit players how's that for a phrase? i like it <laughs> you stole my thunder <laughs> I really thought this was going to be the opportunity for us to talk about Pitt, but I, I apparently not. No. I thought Guthrie was going to go off no. about I Pitt's mean, it, it, remarkable efficiency on offense. Uh, the second half was was better. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean... I, how about this? New rule for the podcast, if you're no longer in consideration to make the NCAA tournament, you no longer get mentioned on the ACC basketball. I agree. Let's no. move on. I need to talk like about it. Georgia Tech Wake, for the next 30 Wake minutes. Wake Forest, you're dead to me. Georgia Tech, you're dead to me. Syracuse, you're dead to Boston me. Boston College is dead Boston to me. Syracuse. Boston College and uh, whatever that it's other just, team it's, is. It's Pitt. kind of a shame. It's kind of a shame that the the Pittsburgh program is where it is right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure. uh, Stallings was was hired as an offensive minded coach, and to put up seven points and a half is is. Pretty embarrassing. When they fire Stallings, can we put our names in to be the like search committee to find the next pit head coach? Yeah, we could do. Why God, not? we could do better. Yeah. If I there's mean, anything I can do, I can do dinners to woo people for for a search committee. I would be good at that. What know? if? I mean, what <laughs> if we went and got like, yeah. let's go get a guy from Europe, mm-hmm. and then stock him with assistant coaches from. Arizona and Louisville. Why don't we get David Blatt? And we're done. Yeah, that's the yeah. guy I was saying. David Blatt, yeah. exactly. Let's go find yeah. him. He's in Israel. Right I, now. Yeah. I didn't I did LeBron run him out of the country? Is that what happened with him? I don't know, but we have the power to bring him back. So <laughs> maybe well, we should do that. You you talk about UVA's efficiency defensively. We actually have a guest today that's gonna talk a little bit about them on a deep dive level for offensively and defensively. We're mainly I'm excited though, to I'll talk tell to you what, we're mainly gonna focus on the offensive end because good, that doesn't get good. touched upon as much as Virginia's defense. I mean, I feel like every single national broadcast game you're gonna get a little bit of a look at the back line. All right, it is time for the deep dive on the ACC regular season champs of the one seed. That would be the Virginia Cavaliers. There's no better person to do it on the beats than my good friend Chris Wright of the Saber.com. He is the editor over there. You can check out that website for columns, message boards, lively message boards, comedy from posters, which I always get a kick out of. 
and some really good articles recruiting as well from uh, his colleague. He is our fourth guest of the season following Ken Pomeroy, Greg Peterson, and then SB Nation bracketologist Chris Dobertine. Chris Wright, welcome to the podcast. Glad to have you. Thanks for having me. The way we're going to attack this interview is, first of all, I want to talk about Virginia from 2016 compared to 2016-2017 to where they are now in 2017-2018 because that was a big narrative at the tail end of the season. Everyone looked at the Florida game and panicked whether you were a fan or whether you or a, a naive fan or somebody who was a national panelist. So that's how we're going to start with this one because obviously Virginia – Number one in the country in defensive efficiency, number one in Ken Palm, and also likely to be the number one overall seed, which is a pretty big jump from where they were at the beginning of the season, which was an unranked squad. So let's begin on the offensive end of the floor. A lot of the narrative being thrown around there is a team in the 30s rarely wins the national championship. My counter to that is I don't think we've ever seen a defensive team this efficient, and you have the exact numbers for it. But let's go there. What are what are your initial reactions to that narrative? I think it's somewhat uh, short-sighted, but I also understand where they're coming from in terms of the research. So I don't think anyone's ever won the national title playing less than 65 possessions a game or 67 possessions per game at somewhere in that vicinity. Butler obviously got close. They made it twice but didn't win. Um, there have been teams, even Villanova, isn't when they won, were in that 67 range. Um, so there are teams that play slower that can win, but Virginia plays even slower than those teams. So it only takes one really bad offensive night to create a narrative um, that it won't win in the big tournament. But it, it's based in at least a little bit of fact because the possessions are low, um, a really bad shooting night, a really bad scoring night, foul trouble, uh, you know, three-pointers from the other team. There are just a lot of things that can rock the apple cart um, when you're talking, you know, an offensive slump in a one-game tournament. And that's essentially what you do. You play six one-game tournaments. So I, I don't agree with it. I think they can win at 63 possessions. I, I've told Coach Bennett personally um, that I feel like 65 is the magic number. Um, it seems like when Virginia gets to 65 or 70 points, um, they're almost unbeatable. To do that, it's easier to do that at 65 or 67 possessions per game because their kind of historical average with Bennett is a little over a point per possession. So there's plenty of room for debate in there. I think they can win that way if the defense is able to sustain itself against high-level competition six games in a row. And we've seen them do that all year long. We've seen them do that for years on end. But it only takes one Malachi Richardson, right, Yeah, to, to mm-hmm. disrupt that apple cart. 65 is interesting that you came up with that magic number, but it makes sense if you're doing the math. Secondly, how about this? When you talked about Virginia's defensive capability against opponents, do you think they get a boost? Because ACC teams are actually familiar with running against the pack line, where, per se, if you go up against a Big East team, a Conference USA team, and name another conference, they don't have quite the familiarity. And I'm not counting Pac-12 teams, teams because Arizona's just not the same beast. I think it depends. If it's the first game of a weekend, I don't think it's as much of an advantage. If it's the second game of a weekend, I think it can be. Doing that on short prep and what's essentially a walkthrough because you're not going to have too heavy of a practice between NCAA games um, is a tall task if you're not at least a little bit familiar um, with how to attack the pack line or some concepts that you can try. I think if you have four or five days to prepare, you can at least uh, go through the strategies and concepts and run it a bunch of times really hard. 
um, to try to simulate it. It's still not easy, particularly not at, at the level Virginia's playing defense this year, but um, I wouldn't want to be the second the second team in a weekend to try to figure it out on one day. Um, it's just something that's really hard to do. Unless maybe you're an ACC team like we did see in 2016. Okay, let's go to Virginia offensively because that's a topic that isn't touched too often upon. The mover blocker, the sides, motion offense – which sometimes gets critiqued, and maybe that's because people aren't paying attention to how many possessions are in a game. Sometimes it does get stagnant. I mean, I watch Virginia on a game-to-game basis. I never miss a game. I rewatch a lot of contests. You rewatch it like Spock. But how do you evaluate the mover blocker this year compared to last season, and what are you seeing differently as far as movement, screening, and all of the above? I think if you start at kind of the basic level, um, it's a very common offense. You you see pieces of it all over the place. The thing is, Virginia does it over and over and over, multiple possessions and multiple times within a possession. But the way side motion or blocker movers start is basically the same way the NBA runs their floppy sets, which is two down screens, and you can go off of it either way. Um, That's pretty straightforward. That's from the pros all the way down. If you watch the Warriors, the Trailblazers, if you watch Notre Dame, there are just so many teams that run pieces of the mover blockers. So I think the criticism is a little bit over the top um, because it is a very common strategy. The difference is Virginia does it all the time. And really the only thing the mover blocker is or sides motion is you have two kind of designated screeners and two designated cutters coming off that screen um, that the ball handler is then reading all of that action. So the ball can go to anybody um, based on how the defense reads and, and kind of tries to force certain things. So if you look at the most recent game, Virginia got a lot of curls into the paint. That's because um, Pitt was chasing them behind the screen. If, if you cheat the screen, they fade to the corner. There's just lots of reads in there. The, the reason that people kind of lose track of all of that, though, is most people are watching the ball, right? So yeah. if you're watching the ball, the ball handler often is standing there or kind of dribbling a little bit and kind of reading and waiting to see what happens away from the ball. But everybody is eyes particularly TV watchers and casual viewers are staring at the ball and it looks like it's frozen, right? So that looks like a very uh, uh, mundane, not going to score a whole lot of points offense. You reduce the possessions and they don't understand that it's over a point per possession historically. So mostly it's just misunderstood, I think. They don't really know what they're watching. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, I also don't even like comparing the 2017 team to this team because Parentes, as you and I know, we watched him for four years, was a, a slow-paced player. That's just how his feel was for the game. And then you didn't have too many other players who could create their own shot. Shayok sometimes, but it was like a generally an 18 to 20-footer off the dribble. And then Thompson, certainly not. This other team, uh, this current team with Ty Jerome, you know he can pull the trigger from about 25 feet at times. Kyle Guy can hit the rudder in the lane. So let's talk about some of the quirks and some of the differences that we're seeing this year and some adjustments. You and I have witnessed that they are running a few more high ball screens per general when we're comparing this to the rest of the betted era. You'd have to go all the way back to John Tell Evans to find ball screens at this high of a rate. They did it a fair amount with John Tell um, because it played to his strengths, but there's a long stretch there with, with Parantes and Brogdon where the strengths were better not doing ball screens. It's not that they were bad at it, it's just they had better strengths elsewhere. So they're doing a little bit more of that. Um, I spotted all the way back, and this is going to sound crazy, but all the way in the, the blue and white scrimmage, as vanilla as that was, you could see some adjustments even back then. So the one that's really common that people are used to is something that, that most people call lane wide, meaning one of the two 
one of the two screeners is a step or two off the lane line yes. instead of being like right on the block. Uh, that was very common with Evan Nolte, right? They're doing it with all their posts now. It's not one designated player. Sometimes both um, post players that are doing those screens are both in a lane-wide position, meaning a step or two off the lane line to set the screen. Um, sometimes there's a high post screening. Sometimes there's not. That's a little bit different than, than past years where there was almost always a high, high post screener always setting flare screens. That's not always true anymore. Um, the other thing I'm seeing a lot of is just kind of what they do, you know, outside of that, that concept. So if both posts are lane wide, a step or two off setting screens, Virginia doesn't always just go player A, left side, player B, right side. It's a lot more randomized now. You see a lot of guys following off of the same screen. I call it a follow the leader screen. So maybe Devin Hall goes first, curls into the paint, Kyle Guy comes second and goes out to the wing. So lots more randomness um, to their cutting versus this player off of this side of the floor, rinse and repeat. And, right? and so it's, it's a lot more fluid. And that's the players are making those decisions. Uh, that's what I'm seeing. I mean, unless yes, 100 percent exactly. Yeah. And now, there are some calls in there that that maybe the start of a possession is a follow the leader screen where we know that player A then player B, but then sometimes those later in possessions, that's just happening naturally. And if you watch really closely, and you got to make yourself not watch the ball, um, you will see guys point that I'm going this way or you should go that way because I'm getting ready to do the opposite. You will see a lot of nonverbal uh, uh, communication going on among players on the floor. And Chris, I appreciate you taking the time to really deep dive into this UVA offense. It's really been um, kind of a point of contention, especially in the national conversation when people are talking about Who's going to win the national championship? Who's going to make it to the Final Four? Um, I'm glad you mentioned cutting. You know, I think EVA is one of the best cutting teams in America. You know, they're averaging, I think, 1.26 per point per possession. Um, just a, a great cutting team, but also one of the things that stands out, as opposed to previous years, um, maybe last year is an exception, but they really struggle scoring out of the post. Um, one of the worst teams in the country at doing that um, at only uh, 0.683 uh, points per possession there in the bottom, 10% in all of NCAA. Why do you think that is, and do you think it will affect them in March? Yeah, they're, they're not rate, rated very highly in post-scoring. The, the Anthony Gill, Mike Toby option that w- was there for so many years, these guys just aren't quite as polished as that. Certainly Jack Saul does not. Jay Huff doesn't play a lot, and frankly, is not that polished yet either. Um, Diakite's coming on. You know, He's really improved from last year, but compared to the national average, um, his post game is not that strong. So basically, and then Wilkins a little bit, but he has to do it against um, someone his own size. You can't at six seven, six eight. If you're generous, it's hard to do that against against really big bigs. Uh, he just doesn't have the the shot angle <laughs> to make that work. It's just the math doesn't work uh, because those other guys are so big. Sometimes that he's playing against. So really, you're looking at DeAndre Hunter sometimes posting up, and that's more of a face up type of jab step and shoot type of player. So the reason that that Post points aren't theirs. They just don't have the personnel for it. Right. We've got an issue in March. The game is really kind of transitioned away from that. It's not. There are not a whole lot of teams that necessarily dump it down and play back to the basket post up basketball. It's not a. It's not where the the game of basketball has gone in general. Um, so the question is to me more is can you get paint points, not can you get post up points? And Virginia is getting paint points on a much much more regular, more consistent, and higher volume basis um, than they did last year when the last, what, six weeks of the season, 
almost every game was a struggle if three-pointers weren't going in. So that's not as true with this team. A lot of guys that can get in the paint, a lot of floaters, a lot of runners, and then you've got DeAndre Hunter that can get his own shot. And honestly, maybe he's one of the best in the last several years to do that, where it's not going to be a contested jumper, get your own shot. He can get to the rim, he can get to the free throw line, um, and that helps uh, uh, knock out some of the scoring droughts that are really the big problem um, in March. If you go on too long of a, a scoring drought in March, you can be done because it's a one-game tournament. Right, right. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you're saying there, especially when it comes to droughts in Virginia. Um, you know, I look back to, you know, that Villanova team that had Ochefu, and I, I remember that national championship game, and when they would go into long droughts, you would feed it down to Ochefu, you kind of get those easy baby hooks out of the post. Saw it a little bit last year with Meeks as well. You know, I think that teams are playing less out of the post, but I think once you get into those bigger games where possessions matter, I find that to break up kind of those longer droughts, you do need kind of a, a down down low presence, a post player, like Gill was, and he was able to get them so many easy baskets. But, you know, kind of moving away from that or transitioning away from that, if you will, you know, UVA is actually one of the best transition teams in the country if you're actually talking about efficiency. I mean, they, they don't do it very often, obviously. They're, uh, I think, bottom 10 in all the NCAA in doing it, but they're actually incredibly efficient when when in transition. Um, do, you, do you see that as something that maybe Bennett and company might step up a little bit in the tournament? I think it is up year over year. I'd have to look at the number, but I remember looking back in early January. They were playing in transition. I think it was 2 to 3% more often. Um, than they had previously. That doesn't sound like a big jump, but... Yeah, it's like it, a 25% well, jump for them, though, right? Exactly. When it's 8 or 9% previously, but now it's 11 or 12, that's that's a massive jump. The Where I think you could see it the most in March, and ACC teams have done a decent job of cleaning this up the last two weeks or so, is Virginia early on was getting a ton of points off turnovers. Points off turnovers are often in transition, right, because you steal the ball and you just go. Right. The, um, that's where it could show up in March. You know, in a one sixteen game, I think it, it very clearly could show up. I think in the second game of the first weekend, I think it's a nine it's or eight, nine yeah. team that has flaws. That's the type of team that might turn it over and, and allow Virginia to get out and run a little bit. And those points are are massive. Do I think it, they'll speed it up beyond that? I don't. I don't. I think the tournament um, and, and really postseason basketball at any level tends to slow down. Um, so if it's going to happen, I think it's going to have to come out of that points off turnovers category. Yeah, you know, I, I've actually, uh, you know, I keep hearing this argument that, you know, oh, you know, maybe maybe UVA is going to run into this 16 seed that is just going to be all transition and may run them out of the gym. And, you know, I actually think they already played maybe the most transition-oriented team in the entire country in Savannah State earlier this year and they squeezed them. I think they only I think Savannah State only scored forty. I don't know how many they got in transition, but you know, I think that narrative in transition might be maybe a little uh maybe a little there, overblown. There is less than zero percent chance that a sixteen seed will be able to speed up the game. Right. It also <laughs> helps that Savannah State is just really bad. Hey, hey, they're not that bad. I'm just saying <laughs> Listen, I, I I've covered the NCAA tournament for a number of years now covering Virginia and the Memphis fans and media were just sold that in Raleigh that they were going to be able to run other than the first two or three minutes of that game. Nope. <laughs> Iowa State and Chicago convinced they were going to be able to run. Their their media guys were like, oh, we've sped everybody up. I was like, not going to happen, guys. <laughs> it's just not going to. <laughs> the, um, Virginia is the best in the country at staying true to who they are. They will not get sped up uh, to, to any significant degree, and certainly not by a, a 16 seed. And 
what is likely going to be in, in the number one overall seed spot. So it means a play-in 16 seed on top of that. So there are a few teams that maybe could do it, but you know they, they would have to be a North Carolina or somebody like that. That that is just really really good at transition. Well, Chris, to speed Virginia. Talking about the tournament, let me throw a hypo- hypothetical at you. And I am not concerned about 16 seed at all. Forget about that. I'm not even worried about that. Savannah State. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Anyways, but uh, so, you know, what you're saying, like, they stay true to who they are, UVA, they've always been known as a system team, but then as we talk about this, a lot of the things we're talking about, the tweaks they make are because of personnel, right? So, like, Jack Salt's a screener, whereas they used to have, like, Gil, who could have some post-up game. You know, now they've, they're they're adjusting for that, the personnel with, like, Prontis is gone, and, you know, the the high ball screens are coming back, that sort of thing. What do you see as like in the tournament? I, I'm a big believer that in the tournament you have to have a an option B. You know, no matter how true to yourself, no matter how much of a system team you are, you and can we say saw that, that last year in game one because they went small. They went right. five guards practically in, in game one. I'm a so. big believer you have to have an option B. So what do you see as like the thing that we haven't seen yet? Maybe we've seen flashes. Maybe you have like a kind of an inkling. But what do you think is the thing that we might? we might see in the tournament that like comes out that we thought, Oh wow, that's like the next gear. That's the thing that's going to take them to the next level. I think ultimately the answer is probably DeAndre Hunter. The um, awful lots put on a red shirt freshman, particularly on that stage, but we've seen young players do really well in the tournament over the last decade, right? It's become more common. So ultimately you're seeing it more the last week or two. Anyway, they early in the ACC season, they were isolating DeAndre Hunter against zones. The last two weeks, they're isolating him against man. You're seeing it a lot more often. I, I've spotted numerous occasions um, in the last two games, the last three games, where it is a very specific plan for DeAndre Hunter to be isolated right here, right now, high post or on the wing in man-to-man. So That's it's a huge it's, difference. It's more than just like a we're on a scoring drought against Duke against this zone that we don't know what to do against this half-hearted zone, and it's more like an we are deliberately going attacking a certain point on the defense with DeAndre Hunter. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If you look at the – basically, they've been through – well, now they have been through 16. I've I looked at it through 15 games, so you could easily chop the ACC season up. Right. The first five, virtually no isolation. The next five, and then the last five, a lot of isolation for, for DeAndre Hunter. So, um, to me, if, if there's a kind of we-need-something-right-now moment, that's what I would expect. That would be some way to try to isolate DeAndre Hunter. That's not something overly unusual. They used to do it with Anthony Gill some. They used to do it with Malcolm Brogdon some. Um, it's just a little unusual to see it from that young of a player in Virginia's system and then that that size of a player. Like Anthony Gill and Malcolm Brogdon, both very strong, physically imposing guys. Neither one of those guys were 6'7", six, 6'8", seven, six, with 7'2", wingspan. That's just a totally different ball game. It just is. The um, those type of players can get their shot off against just about anybody um, because of that seven-two high release point. So that could be the X factor um, in a tournament game where you need a bucket. Yeah, we got about two minutes left, Chris. You and I talk all the time, so let's do clip notes just for listeners who maybe don't always tune in. As far as playing zone against Virginia, pretty bad idea just from the numbers and what we've witnessed. I think they're a top five percent still in going against zone in the country. You know, well over a point per possession against zone. It's more like 1.15 or something like that. Um, they have various ways to attack it. Um, and then they have four guys who over the last, either over the season or in the case of DeAndre Hunter, over the last two weeks are shooting 36% or better from three. 
zone is not a real good plan to attack Virginia unless you're going to mix it up a lot. And also you have Ty Jerome, who has pretty good range, which is very influential against the zone, especially at the top of the key. Secondly, for the Virginia diehards out there, have you seen more or less of the flair this year? I would say less, but I want to I want to double check with you. And second of all, the elevator screen in which Kyle Guy ran a ton in the non-conference. Have you seen as much of that during conference play? Just from I mean, you don't have to track every single possession, but just from an eye test standpoint, the the, the flare screen not as often because there's not a high post player. A dribble drive with a flare cut is, is still there. Um, I can think of one off the top of my head in the last the last game where it was dribble drive and a flare cut, but no flare screen. So that's a little different, but not entirely different. Um, they just ran the elevator screen for Kyle Guy in the last two or three games, but they ran it to the top of the key instead of out to mm. the wing like they normally do. But they're still not running it a lot, not nearly as much as they ran it in the Joe Harris days. All right. Chris, thanks so much for the analysis. A deep dive on Virginia. Tell us uh, what we can find at the Saber.com where you write up some great reviews of every single game, a lot of X's and O's stuff. You subscribe to Edge, and then also you get access to plenty of message boards and more. Just tell our listeners where you can go. Um, so the, the Saber.com or Virginia.SportsWar.com, either way. The um, There's lots of free stuff, so audio, video, articles, message boards, photos. <laughs> a lot of that stuff is free, but then we also do a lot of subscription stuff with recruiting, analysis, um, a lot of like deep dive numbers that, that we're talking about in interviews like this, I mm-hmm. put a lot of those after every ACC game where we break down something very specific. So I was working on Pittsburgh today. Like, what do the floater numbers look like? How does that compare to previous years? We're talking about paint scoring. The floaters are really where it's coming from, floaters and runners. Taking a deep dive look at that wow. in the next article. So it's that type of stuff um, that you can get on the edge. Check it out, folks. It is well worth the price of admission all right chris thank you so much we will chat with you soon and uh enjoy the rest of the season in march of course thanks so much all right thanks chris all right with that said let's go ahead and transition and tell you a little bit about our sponsor and that would be three notched brewing indeed taylor what are we sipping on tonight this is as we have said amongst ourselves a two growler podcast we've got uncle cyrus it's a dark ale it's malty. Uncle Cyrus. Oh, it's that's wheat. a new one. Yeah. There's a lot of gluten in it. It's still good. Uh, and then we've got the classic 40 mile IPA, which is just your solid, your old reliable, mm. your your high school girlfriend. Are right, you always done. think so about the ACC Basketball Degenerates podcast is sponsored <laughs> by Three Notch Brewing, named after a colonial era trail running through central Virginia, Three Notch Brewery. Jack Hewitt. Innovative characters. Thomas Jefferson. You're messing me up. Built around bold characters that left their mark on American history. Characters like Thomas Jefferson, Jack Hewitt, and Patrick Henry. Three notched beers can be found at fine grocers everywhere and at their tasting rooms in Charlottesville. And Harrisonburg. And Richmond. Thanks for representing Virginia. With that said, let's get back to it. Okay. uh, Oh, hi, Mark. We have an excellent segment coming up right now. And it's going to be a superlative segment called Know Your Role. Mike, lead us in. Oh, man. Superlatives. It's that time of year, guys, Mm. where we've seen just about all the basketball that there is to be played in the ACC regular season and nationally. It's time to pick our best of the best. Now, every time I listen to a college basketball podcast, every time I read a college basketball article, it is about... 
teams knowing their roles. Okay, and this is this is something new that I wasn't really too privy to previously. You know, previously everything I had read was about having the best player on the floor. Now college basketball seems to be shifting more towards role play, which you all know I'm very into. So with that, <laughs> with that uh, being said, let's get into a segment called Know Your Role, a.k.a. Stay in Your Lane. Okay, so first of all, we're going to have five roles here. One is your steady Eddie. That's your ball control point guard, the guy you feel most comfortable with the ball in his hands. Second, you have your glue guy, you know, your sticky icky, the guy that brings your team together. Third, you got your stretch, got your stretch man, the guy that really widens the uh, widens the half court for you, like a piece of gum that you just stretch apart. So stretch. Number four, kind of a tough name to go with here, but I couldn't really figure anything else out. I'll call him the Blanca, the Roadhog, the Goro. That's the uh, bad character with forearm from Mortal Kombat. The guy that grabs every loose ball, every rebound. He's got a good grapple. Yeah, great grapple. You know, just strength. Big the Street Fighter strength. reference means a lot more to me than the Overwatch <laughs> reference. He's very good at handing off the guards as well. All right, so that's your fourth guy. Fifth, you have a guy called the Human Torch, all right? The guy that can instantly heat up an offense, put up points when you really need them. And last, this is kind of your all-encompassing character. You're kind of your Captain America, your Captain Planet, the guy that does everything, your real uh, MVP. So let's start let's with... Go through him. Steady Eddie? Yeah, let's start with Steady Eddie. Can who's, I begin? Who's your ACC guy? Matt Farrell. Really? Yeah. Wow. No turnovers on him, huh? Steady Eddie Matt Farrell. What is he at? Two per game? That's mm. not terrible. For his usage know. rate, he has a high usage rate. Mm-hmm. What does he have? About six assists per game. Yeah, I'll take that. All right, Are you gonna complain about six versus two? Go ahead. No, I'm not gonna live complain. in fairyland. No, three to one is great. Okay, all right. He seems he seems like a guy that you know. I he's not steady. Steady is not the word I'd use. Okay, fine. All right. But no, all right. my I, guy. I, well, I think he's more prolific. Okay? My guy, you, give me your guy came out last night against Florida State and put the country on notice. Currently leads the ACC in assist rate. I think he's number two nationally. Okay, Our yeah. boy, Let's cue the music. Markel Johnson from NC State. Oh, Markel Johnson. You can believe in him. Put him in a State Farm commercial alongside Chris Paul. This guy you can trust. Taylor, no who's doubt. yours? I believe nice. he's been a revelation. Nice. TM. TM. <laughs> Trademarked ACC basketball degenerates. Uh, I would go with Devin Hall, honestly. And I'm not even basing this strictly on assist ratio. Like he, Wait, do you have to pick a point guard? I mean, I guess he does initiate it lends some it, possessions. It but. lends itself to that, but sure. But I'm just picking him because I think... Well, you cheated a little bit, but I'll give it to you. Sure, he's the fulcrum for them. He, like... I don't know. He's, he's like, the stabilizing influence on every possession they have. Hmm. Especially alongside some of those other guys, yeah. All right. I like All right. it. All right. All right, Guthrie, you got so, anyone? So for the ACC, I, I have to go with uh, Jose Alvarado. Oh, I think R-I-T. yes, I love it. Wait, we I, haven't. <laughs> I think. Yeah, I mean, you know, this. this I thought we Mike this and Luke talk. leave the room while Guthrie and I talk about this for the next <laughs> yeah. hour. So uh, Georgia Tech has not had a great season, but I I really like Alvarado to have a great season next year. Yeah. And you're, I, I, you know, maybe maybe they make a push to, for the tournament. Your your twenty twenty player of the year, national player very, of the very, year. I believe very well it. could be. Yeah. All right. Well, glue guy. That's next. Do you want to introduce? Uh, no, no. I feel I, like I, I already I, did. I, I glue guy. Pretty, pretty self explanatory. Pretty colloquial. Yeah. I would go with Isaiah Wilkins just because so, I'm the first one to pick, and so I can beat you guys yeah. to the punch. You're a quintessential glue guy, right? And I love the description that was written here. And 
uh, to be honest, I wrote it, which is kind of <laughs> <laughs> kind of bad. But the guy that does everything, even when he does nothing, statistically speaking, um, you know, I, I do love that. You know, the guy I'm going to go with. Not to be confused with Theo Benson. Right, that's right. He's no longer a glue guy because he puts up too many stats. He's now full Draymond. Now, the glue guy I'm going to go with is Rex Fluger. All right, the man has glue in his last name. You can't make it up. He's all Probably energy. Probably glue in his hair, also. <laughs> I was just, you know what, his hair was looking pretty good this weekend in that game. I mean, I, I thought I, I was like, that's good. He trimmed. It's been trimmed over the years, but good, still good. All energy and elbows, Rex Fluger. Love the guy. <laughs> all right, are we moving on? I'm gonna say I'm Devin gonna... Hall. I think is my glue guy. <laughs> okay, I see. He it does trend. it all. You have one person on your team, Taylor. <laughs> Are we, are we exclusively doing ACC teams or is anything? anything no, you goes? can be a hipster. The segment go for. All it. right, I'm gonna pick. I'm gonna pick a Tyler Weidman on Butler. He is he wow. to me is a really the good definition one. of glue guy. That's a really good one. I'm legitimately impressed. I'm sorry, I'm not pandering to you. That is an excellent. <laughs> oh, thank that you. is an excellent pick. All right, let's well, go to the stretch. The stretch three, the guy that's critical to every half court offense currently in college basketball. The guy that stands in the corner, you don't know he's there. You say Marco, he says Polo, knocking down threes in the corner. All right, my ACC pick is, in my mind, the best three point shooter in the ACC, at least in the regular season so far. Gary Trent Jr. Don't know where this Duke offense would be without him. Can't stretch the floor with Wendell Carter and Marvin Bagley down low without him. My pick is Gary Trent. Who you guys got? I mean, Grayson Allen's a great shooter. <laughs> An excellent shooter. That's what he I said. Mean, he's a really good. <laughs> I don't know, Taylor. I mean, gosh, you're... Your options are pretty much Justin Bibbs. I know. <laughs> um, I legitimately say... pulled up the ACC uh, three-point shooting percentage stats mm-hmm. so that I could, like, cheat off this. Okay, no, here's who I'm going to pick. Al Freeman. Anthony Lawrence, you are Miami Hurricanes. Uh, underappreciated as a three-point threat, mm-hmm. and I think he does a lot of that. Especially, I mean, he's like six, seven-ish, but he plays a sometimes a four, sometimes a three, and I think he presents a lot of matchups for them when he can stretch out and and that's really his strength. That's like his value that he's bringing because he's not like the inside bruiser. I like that. Can I pick my phone of friends slash? Ask the audience slash go out the outside the ACC for this one. Sure, mm-hmm. I'm going yeah. to Dakota Mathias, Purdue. Nice, great pick, great I pick. I do, I do like Mathias. One of the most underappreciated just scorers in all of college basketball. But he's not necessarily ball dominant for that team, so that's why I think it fits. Right? No. Yeah, yeah. No, there was actually a rumor last year that he was not going to take a two point uh, attempt all year. There was like a point where they were like 17 games in, and he had only ad- attempted threes. So he's gotten to be a little bit more creative I mean, driving this year, but great would, call. Would he be the same player if like Haas wasn't down there a- attracting double teams? Oh, and, like, Taylor, you can just let me have a win. Well, we'll, we'll never know. Okay, okay, great. Yeah, that was great. We'll, yeah, that, was we'll never know. that was a good choice. We'll Sorry, that was a good choice. Sorry, that was a good choice. I have to pick my man, Yurt Seven. He he doesn't really step out too much for three. Like he's got 18 threes on the year, but. He's got range. He's got range for seven footer. He's got that Euro range. Man, yeah. I dude, this guy this guy is gonna play ball professionally. Yeah. Hot take. He's gonna play ball professionally <laughs> and I'm gonna wanna watch. I can't wait to travel to Athens, buy a ticket, watch him play in the Euro basket finals. It's gonna be great. Wow. Well, I 
That was harsh. I love that was harsh. Yeah, your seven has been an incredible player. I think he was actually the key to starting NC State in the right direction last night against Florida State, especially in the pick and roll game with Markel. But absolutely, all right, Greek basketball for your seven (laughs) from here on out. All right, um, how about our Bruiser, our Goro, our Blanca, our Roadhog? Who you got? Oh my! Who you got within the ACC, Guthrie? Oh, jeez. Uh, BJ Anya, he's still playing, right? Oh! <laughs> hey, no, just skip me. Come back, come back to me. Come All back right. to me. I'll start. Wendell I Carter. I miss. I miss BJ Anya. Wendell Carter. Wendell Carter is the best natural rebounder I've seen in the ACC in a decade. I've only been watching ACC basketball for six years, so take that into account. Mm. Um, I think he's a better rebounder than Angel Delgado from Seton Hall, who would probably be your national pick if you were if you were looking wow. that way. I think he's a better rebounder than Rico Gathers what? ever was. Wendell, Blasphemy! Wendell Carter, he's just the man down low. I love him. Better than Rico Gathers? Better than Rico Gathers. Oh my God. You know what? Okay, Damn. I'll go ahead. I'm just going to take Chuck Wu. All Ooh. right. I, you know what? He doesn't necessarily rack up the numbers, but he's just around. He's just around <laughs> down there in the paint. He's just there. Like he's just he's jumping up and down like a pogo stick. I, I don't know. I think he's just like a chaos machine in the paint. So he's gonna be my Blanca for uh-huh. you. I, I'm gonna cheat and name two people just because I wanna you can't do that. Shout out to these guys. I'm sure they're <laughs> listeners of the podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, Taylor, you're breaking all the rules. You picked Devin Hall twice, and now you're picking two people for your... He's going to pick Devin Hall twice again. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he's always it's like Devin Hall's right hand. No, uh, my first one, I, I really wanted... Everything in my body was like, I want to pick Martinez Gebbin, just because I love watching him out there on the floor for Notre Dame. ACC's most improved player, it's great. some say. Uh, but really, and I, and I think this is... I, I have always undervalued him. But I realize he's like good in this capacity is Dora Moore uh, for Wake Forest. That, that was my pick. I mean, actually, I, he had some huge shoes to fill, and he is always going to suffer this entire season from that comparison. In addition, they've had a bad season, so he's like never going to get like a spotlight shined on him. But yeah. I think he's been really good in what he's been asked to do, and he is first it, in it, the it, ACC yeah. in offensive rebounding percentage and defensive rebounding percentage. And he's, mm-hmm. I mean, he's. He's not as skilled, probably, offensively as you might like. I mean, mm-hmm. obviously coming mm-hmm. from a John Collins like last year. But he's he's always there, like you were saying. He's just there in the paint. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I like that. That that was definitely my pick. Uh, that A terrific, terrific pick. <laughs> uh, so on Let's the go spot, Deeks. Demon Deacons, baby. I'm going to go with Azubuke. Okay. On Kansas. I like that, yeah. He, oh, he went outside the conference twice. You've used two of your lifelines yeah. already. Well, you know, Doral Moore was mine. Well, you can take him too. Um, That's but, why I named two people. Hey, time. you know what? Cloned Devin Hall already, so you might as well clone. <laughs> if uh, Kansas, if Kansas really is going to be a one seed and they really are going to make a run, like some people are saying, then Azubuki is. They've looked really the good key. recently. So, like, Devonta Graham is terrific, and he's he's going to need to score a lot. But to me, Azubuki is the key. Very nice. I like those picks. Let's move on to the Human Torch. Michael B. Jordan's only failed role so far as an actor, but yet we can uh, expect someone here offensively at least to put up the big numbers. Who you got, Luke? I know you. I know you love the. Side Human note: Torch. The Black Panther album is fantastic. <laughs> Listen to the album. If I you like get a players who will continue to shoot, and I'm taking Kyle Guy. Kyle Guy. That's my Human Torch. I like that creative finisher. Creative finisher. So. A quick clarification: We're talking about Human Torch is is a player that just 
puts the ball in the basket a lot. Instant offense is what the right. All right. Instant All right. offense. Just, I was looking for a bench player that just came in and scored a bunch of points. Okay. Oh, but there, that wasn't clear. But there are no more bench players. I need to. I need to go before Guthrie so that he doesn't steal my guy because we're nowhere oh on the same wavelength. Do we you, have to do a bench player? You're, you're it's not. I'm no, not doing a bench player. Oh, I'm, just doing, oh God, I'm, I'm just doing. I'm just doing the. I can switch. Totally good. Kyle likes. Huh? Here we go. <laughs> right, just, just, just do it. The human embodiment of the uh, flame emoji, just on the floor. A four-star recruit, verbally committed for football, to the University of North Carolina. Your flame emoji-headed three-point shooter, Kai Bowman of the Boston College Eagles. Oh. The man can light it up. I mean, very nice. I en- mm. I've enjoyed watching Kai Bowman. He, I mean, to me, he is the embodiment of that. He's that kind of guy. I like Mike. That. Just Michael. give him the ball and watch it go in. All right, I'm I'm gonna go with, and you know, maybe part of my pick is when looked again looked at against the rest of his team, he looks that much better offensively. But I'm gonna go with Lonnie Walker. Um, you know, part of me really wanted to go with Chris Likes. I think that he is instant offense when when on the floor. Um, but I'm gonna go with Lonnie Walker here. No, I don't think anyone in the ACC is scoring as creatively as often. As Lonnie Walker is, um, I like the way that he's able to get to the basket. I love his three-point shot. He can light it up when Miami needs him, so keep an eye on him. He's he's must-see TV. Uh, so uh, I'm going to take a page out of Taylor's book and pick two players for this. Uh, I'll be really quick. Uh, for the ACC, uh, Justin Robinson, I think, is, is criminally underrated, as I tweeted last night. He... Deserves consideration for all ACC. He's in the mix. I, he's he's he been, does. He's he been is absolutely, true. absolutely true. outstanding. He can he can put the ball in the basket in various numbers of ways. But who I just I, I I think is also underrated and absolutely outstanding is Carson Edwards for Purdue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I watched the Purdue Illinois game the other night and he dropped forty and it was it was quite a show. Mm-hmm. He is he is a beast. No, no team better fills all of these roles than Purdue. Uh, they they oh, yeah. are a team that perfectly fits the model of um, a team filled with everybody that knows their role. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with Vince Edwards and whether he's fully back. But, yeah, that's definitely a team that can make a lot of noise in March. Definitely. All right. Our last category, Captain America, Captain Planet, the man who does it all, the combination of all of our best traits. I'm going to wait to see if you guys steal my thunder, but I'm going to go last on this one just just to see. Because it's an obvious decision, but go ahead. All right. I'll say my Captain America for the 2017-2018 season begrudgingly, begrudgingly. I cannot believe I'm doing this. Is Luke May. Oh. <laughs> I, think he, oh. I think he does what they need when, he, when they need it. I, I think Joel Berry is such a better player, but I think that he's doing everything right for them. He's he's my MVP for the 2017-2018 ACC season, sadly. Taylor? Uh, Man, I don't know. Okay, Guthrie? <laughs> <laughs> I have so many people I can choose from. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'm curious. I'm curious what Taylor's list is like here. <laughs> It's, just, it's probably, Trey Young nine times. <laughs> I'm just looking down the list of the Boston College roster. Well, I, okay, Jer- can we pick Jerome Robinson twice? Sure. Go ahead. We haven't even mentioned him. Yeah. No. I'm going to go with the obvious point pick, who's the obvious captain of this year. Mm, on the bow of the ship? It's 
Captain Joel Berry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That, is, that is the best pick. So that completes my team, all right? And <laughs> I beat you to it, Taylor, because you said, uh, I don't know, as yeah. your captain. So That probably is the best pick. That probably is the best pick. So follow yeah, up nationally, DeAndre Ayton and Jock Landale, uh, probably the two best actual players. I would say Jalen players. Brunson, but I, I can't phone a friend again. I've right. already phoned a friend mm-hmm. in this game. Right. Jalen Brunson's up there for me. Yeah, he's got so much help, though. I need somebody that really has it all on their Not back. Not in crunch time. Crunch time. I don't know. Mikhail Bridges is so nasty. let's yeah. review. Okay, my Captain America is Joel Berry. My Human Torch is Kyle Guy. My Blanca is Chuck Wu. My Stretch is Dakota Mathias. My Glue Guy is Isaiah Wilkins, and my Steady Eddie is Matt Farrell. Not bad. Not bad. Not Are bad. Are we constructing this like an actual team? Yeah. Well. I, that's what I'm hoping. I mean, I, <laughs> yeah, that'd be excellent. All right. So I guess let's uh, let's pick some games and let's get out it. of here and enjoy the rest of this college basketball season. Man, this is great. Isn't it just exciting? I mean, it's all the coming to a most wonderful time of the year. It really is. It really is. I can feel in my toes. I'm so much. I'm just so much happy. Feel your Mike, fingers. I want to yeah. hear you dominate this discussion on game lines. Miami at okay. UNC minus ten. Carolina. At home Ooh. from the Smith Center. Ooh. Carolina at home, Miami. I think I I like them to cover here. I do too. I, I Feels I like an eight I point think, Carolina win. Yeah, the UNC small ball lineup will be moot here. Uh, expect Huel to dominate Luke May. I, I I really like Miami here at plus ten. I'll take Miami in the points. Miami as well. God, he's definitely going to take. <laughs> yeah, UNC. That means you got to yeah, take UNC. I'm, I don't. I wow, you guys are incredibly confident <laughs> in this Miami team. Well, I, they, they I, rebounded pretty well after the losing streak. I'm going to take Miami money line, just so it's clear. Uh, well, you're a fool. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think Miami money line is the pick right here. All right. Uh, yeah. Okay. Sure. Give yourself I, that plus two forty or whatever yeah. it's going to be. I have a plot of land I want to sell you in uh, Nigeria. Also, <laughs> talk to me after the podcast. Speaking of ludicrous situations, Florida State and Clemson, I don't know why this is on the list. It's one of the biggest games of the upcoming week. I think it's tomorrow or Wednesday. FSU at Clemson. Clemson currently getting only, only I not I shouldn't say getting, they're currently laying giving. six points. Giving six points. I think Clemson, this is probably my pick of the week, Clemson minus six. Oh. I, I think that they are a tremendous team. I think that they haven't struggled at all defensively. So you're since, agreeing with my narrative that the Grantham Florida State left. season is over. My, my I know. I, don't, I, don't I think can't. So. I can't I, wait I to take Florida State in this game. I want oh. the, the line's going to go up to like double digits, and I'm going to get Florida State plus ten, and it's going to be great. Uh, well, I don't think it's going to go up mm. that high, Taylor. Settle down, okay? I, I'll Calm take down. Florida State. Give me Florida State. Oh, give me the Knolls. I'll take Clemson on the Clemson. road, Absolutely. getting the points. Give me the Knolls. Clemson. Give me, right. give me the Tigers. So. Taylor's on an island. Why are we doing Notre Dame, Virginia instead of Virginia, Louisville? Shouldn't we do Virginia, Louisville? Uh, if we have to. I yeah, guess. because information's going to change by Saturday. All right, fine. Stupid. UVA at Louisville. Louisville is a six point dog currently. Yeah. All right. Who you got? Got Virginia. Virginia minus mm-hmm. six. Got three? Yeah, I think I'm going to I'm gonna take Virginia this time. So you thought, I know two weeks ago, you thought this was going to be the toughest game on UVA's schedule to go undefeated in the ACC. You had said mm-hmm. that earlier. Six points, you think they're going to cover? I, th- I think so. Mm-hmm. I think the so. The last time Louisville was in desperate times, it did not fare well. Mm. So I'm not going to factor that into my equation. Okay. I, I'm also with UVA minus six, one okay. of the best teams in the country. Give me Louisville with the points here. At home, they're going to make it close. All right. 
Let's go on Can to... we just track Taylor's picks for those? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's all I care about. I don't care uh, about ours, but... Give me the cards at home. I, I, it's The line's going to go up. Auburn it's at Arkansas. This is one that hits close to Mike's heart. Not quite oh, as man. close as the Bonnies and Davidson. I, but. T- I tell you, when, when you're watching Auburn at Arkansas, man, this is a crucial game for your NCAA tournament projections. How Auburn's is Auburn trying to stay play? on the two line. Yeah, how are they going to play? They coming off a, lo- a tough loss at Florida um, last Saturday. Arkansas, huge win at Alabama. Have a great three guard tandem. Have one of the best bigs in the country in Gafford. I really like Arkansas plus two here. But deep down, I'm actually hoping Arkansas loses this game so that they can be seated a little bit lower and I can get more value at the Westgate mm. in just two weeks. Mm, so yes. I'll be pulling for Auburn, but I, I like Arkansas at home here plus two. Yeah, that's that sounds good to me. That sounds good to me. I, I like Arkansas at home. They they play very well at home. Mm-hmm. Mike Anderson defends home court. Right. Uh, yeah, you've yeah. convinced me. Making Barford lighten it up. You yeah, can't man. stop the train. All right. My only thing is I've shorted Auburn so much this year, and I've just been raked over the coals. Mm-hmm. Been raked over the coals. Every every Auburn game, I think I've gone against them. I've been wrong. Right. So I'm going to go the other direction and still be wrong. So I'll take Auburn. I'll take Auburn. I'll take Auburn with a confirmation. Taylor's on my side. Yeah. Uh, This can't turn out well. Davidson at St. Bonnie's. uh, Davidson at St. Bonnie's. Man, this is a great game too. See, Davidson's disappointed me this year. They're they're streaking. They're streaking. They're streaking right now. Like a trying to fight for him for the tournament, right? Well, you, you know, yeah, exactly. I think they're going to play well in Brooklyn. I, if they get to the championship game, maybe, maybe they get in that large bid. Well, they got who do they, who do they have to go through? Let's think about their draw. Real quick. Uh, you know, it'll be some collection of St. Louis and VCU, something like that. You yeah. know, they're they're top four in the conference right now. Yeah. But St. Bonaventures, the Bonnies, one of the most talented, if not the talented, most talented backcourts back in, in the, the country. country. Said it and in, in unison. I'm glad we did that. Jalen Adams. I think you're you're a little bit exaggerating that, but it's Jalen. Okay. If you watch Jalen Adams play the game of basketball, you'll be inspired. People talk about people <laughs> talk about uh, Trey Young like he's the second coming uh. of Steph Curry. He's not. His name's Jalen Adams with a Y. The two best point guards in the country both have the first name Jalen. One is Jalen Brunson, the other is Jalen Adams. Watch St. Bonnie's play here at home, minus two. So why aren't we uh, taking the best backcourt in the country at home? Minus wh- two. I'm taking it. I'm in. Give it to me. I'm in. The Bonnie's. Let's do it. So let's talk about the 8-10 seeding, right? Rhode Island's going to be the one in the tournament, right? Yes. Where's Bonnie's going to fall? They're, like they're going to be two. The, they're the two. You've Davidson, got- Davidson and St. Saint, and Saint Bonaventure are both 12-4 and four right now. So mm-hmm. it's it, you know I guess this game could maybe so this game determine, is important for that yeah, yeah it maybe could determine whoever's the two seed right and then VCU is just lingering but they're not gonna make I don't, I don't even know. know if that mean, team makes the semis right? St Louis yeah. and St Joe's are both ahead of VCU right now in the standings yeah, yeah I, I don't trust that team okay finally we have two more games Villanova at Seton Hall Seton Hall giving. Getting six, pardon me. Getting six currently. Because of Desi Rodriguez's injury, turned his ankle on the slick court when they were playing Providence. You know, I don't know if you saw it. They had to cancel the game there um, in Rhode Island. Um, anyways, um, I like Villanova here. I think with the There's recent- a funny story behind that So game. is he probably not going to play? with a friend of mine, okay? Is he oh. not going to play? Is he not going to play? Well, Desi Rodriguez involved. is not going to play. Oh. That's my understanding. That's rough. Um, 
I like Villanova here. I think they're I undervalued in minus yeah, six. Yeah, especially coming off the loss. Yeah, they, they've hit a little bit of a rough patch here. Um, they I think they're one in three against the spread and recently. And Booth came back last game. I did not watch them mm-hmm. at Creighton, but I, I, I believe he was playing, right? Yes, he was. Both him and Pascal are playing now. They're not quite in rhythm yet, but look, it's, Whatever. it's yeah, still the, the best team in the country. I think. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Villanova. See, I would have said that uh, last week. Now I'm I'm not gonna say that anymore. I'm pumping the brakes. We're talking we're six points. Yeah. yeah, it's six points. But it's, so Desi Rodriguez is out for Seton Hall. Mm-hmm. They don't play very many bench minutes. Mm-hmm. His True. backup is a a freshman. Uh, I don't like oh, it. I I, I don't I, think the Villanova the rest of the Villanova players have enough IQ to overcome this. I think you're right, Taylor. You should go with Seton Hall. I'm going to Villanova. That's okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right. What we're in agreement. All four of us. Western Kentucky at Middle Tennessee. Okay. Now this is standing matchup. This is the game. This is the game of the year. This is the first game of the NCAA no, look, tournament in 2018. USA, Can we agree, baby? This look, is officially the first NCAA guys, tournament game. You guys game. give me so much shit. It's not even funny. This. I'm telling you, both of these teams are going to be in the NCAA tournament. Middle mm-hmm. Tennessee is going to be your at-large team. Western Kentucky is going to be have filled your tournament the champion. In your bracket. Look, Western Kentucky, you guys know him well. Old Darius Thompson. I love him. Right? Leading Western Kentucky, the, the UVA, Hilltoppers, transfer, baby. UVA transfer of last year. Currently averaging 20-7 and seven down there over his last 10. Ball dominant, playing really well. I like Western Kentucky here, traveling to Middle Tennessee State to go against... My favorite player right now, at least name-wise, in the country, <laughs> Giddy Potts. Giddy Potts from Middle Tennessee. You know, Nick King is a potential play, best uh, player of the year for you. But uh, Middle Tennessee, minus four. I think everybody's going to ha- hammer Middle Tennessee. Be the smart money. Be on Western Kentucky, plus four here. No way it's more than two possessions. Western Kentucky, plus four. Second best pick of the week besides uh, Clemson, minus six. That's it. Yeah, man. This this is a good Hilltopper team. It's a great this, Hilltopper this is, team. This is they the beat team. Purdue. They beat Purdue. They took Villanova. They they lost by eight. Yeah. To Villanova. On earlier. the road. I mean, this is a this is a good team. Mm-hmm. Both these teams are good teams. I mm-hmm. I agree. I'm not I'm not. These shorting. are teams to watch in March. These are the Absolutely. teams you want, right? I I want to see both these teams play in the tournament. I think they're both going to make it. I think Western well, Kentucky is going to be eleven. I got news for you guys. Ahead. I'm going to take the team who's on a ten game winning streak and play it at home. <laughs> go to Middle Tennessee. Give me the Hilltoppers. You always go with Giddy Potts. <laughs> he never lets you down. He doesn't. I mean, they're good. I think he's going for the. Uh, he's going to set the Conference USA record for most wins uh, by a player this year, potentially. They're also an excellent defensive team. They are. They are. They. They. They're the new Dayton. I've said that about probably three or four teams this year, but they are legitimately. <laughs> they're legitimately the new. Okay, Dayton. we got to wrap this up. Give me Western Kentucky. We're we're doing it. We're yeah, all in. Western Kentucky, baby. Darius Thompson. Any oh. last words? I don't have any. See you next week. Yeah, let's do it. We're getting that much closer to March. So close to March. We formulate a game plan. I will say we love everything that you send us, all your questions, all your comments. Find us on Twitter at ACCBballDegens. A-C-C-B-B-A-L-L-D-E-G-E-N-S. And then also uh, email us at the same address, accbuvaldegens at gmail.com. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. And why not tell a friend? Word yeah. of mouth, old school. Hit us, hit us with that Please five star. Friend. Hit us with we that five star. you to we tell a friend. It. And uh, Taylor loves everyone. I love everyone. I love everyone. <laughs>